Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Shoppable Business, your number one source for procuring products for your business in the Philippines. Discover authentic branded products online. Shop bulk. Save big and secure authentic products with official sales invoices at Shoppable Business today. And also brought to you by DragonPay. DragonPay is the pioneer in alternative payments in the Philippines. DragonPay is the reigning fintech of the year in last year's Philippine Fintech Festival. Sign up now at www.dragonpay.ph. My father and I were having a conversation which turned into a disagreement. And my father said, you know, you don't understand what I'm talking about because you've never started your own company. And until you start your own company, you'll never understand. Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We are now officially five years old and I'm super duper fanboying. Again, I don't get this a lot anymore. I've been doing this for five years, but there's butterflies in my stomach as I stare at this man across the table because we have one of my idols growing up. Again, been seeing him. I, was, I carbonated him a little bit. <laughs> Yes, I, so I see you in TV before every afternoon, three times a week when Alaska is playing. Because before we get carried away, the chairman of the Alaska Milk Corporation, the president of Gen OSI Inc., is here with us, Mr. Fred Utengsu. Fred, welcome to the show and thank you for being our fifth anniversary guest of Hustle Share. Good morning, Ron. Pleasure to be here. Oh my God. I'm so, again, before we start, I just want to give love and a shout out to the people that made this happen. To shout out to our friends and family in Endeavor Philippines. Shout out Manny Ayala, Chelsea Sullivan, and GM Espeleta. We love you. I owe you guys this. Thank you so much. But again, Fred, you've been a big fan of yours. We, we had a bit of a chat before we started out. But again, you told me uh, the, the stuff that we've been doing and I can't wait to share that to the whole, to the whole world through this podcast. But I need to ask you... The million dollar question. Fred, what's your hustle? You know, interestingly, when I when I first heard about it, I was trying to understand what what is it you're looking for? And mm-hmm. I've always looked at work ethic as being my hustle. I learned that from my father growing up, and I maintain that until today. But I, I would say it was probably vision coupled with the work ethic. Ooh. Because you know, you can work really hard, but if you don't know where you're trying to go, then how do you collaborate with people to get them to where they need to be? Correct. And so I've had time now over my career and and now where I am at this stage in my life to reflect on some of the things. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to bring people 
along to where I think we can be successful, wow. whether that's in, in business, whether that's in sports, or whether that's mentoring the youth. Love it. Right. All right. So, you know, a complicated answer to a simple question. And again, the complicated answer has a very beautiful story behind that. And that's what we're going to be dissecting because, again, you've seen Alaska is a household name, right? When, when somebody says, wala pa tatalo, you know, <laughs> people already just finished the sentence in Alaska. And again, every time I look for condensada for my champorado, the only look guy I look for is the the cute guy <laughs> with the blonde hair, curly hair. It's right? the only brand you should look at. Who is that, by the way? <laughs> is that you or is that part of who? Who is that? Who is that guy in the bottle? So the caricature is actually just an artist rendition. Oh. But if you go back to the late seventies, it's my younger brother who was in the TV commercial. With Cisco Oliver. Okay, I did not know this again. I digress very early, but Fred, I need you to buckle up real quick because we're going to have to go all the way back to how this started out and how your hustle started materializing because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share time machine. All right, and we're back to where it all started. And Fred, again, uh, I gave you uh, a couple of of hints, but I'm coming in blind here, right? So obviously Alaska is a business that your father started, but walk us through how you started hustling early on. I mean, especially that we have entrepreneurial parents. I've seen people before that had early exposure to hustling through their parents, sort of sometimes get forced to contribute early. What was that very early hustles that you remember doing? Well, so, you know, I, I grew up with a, uh, my father's Chinese mm -hmm. and has that tremendous work ethic. And I remember he worked almost seven days a week. Wow. So un unbelievable. And as a young boy, I almost resented it because I saw the other fathers who were there coming to their kids' sports events. And mm -hmm. it was a, a different type of situation. But my, my father believed in in providing and he did that and so much more. Mm -hmm. So I, I grew up knowing and it was always his wish that I would join him in, in business. And on weekends, instead of going out and playing, I would go to the office with him. Wow. And I would sit in this office and I would watch him with these stacks of papers. I had no idea what he was doing. He didn't <laughs> talk to me. And he, I suppose he wanted me to learn by osmosis. <laughs> you know, I just, I just knew he, he worked hard. And so that had an impact on me. When I, when I left the Philippines to go to boarding school, right. my father gave me a really tight budget. Mm. And I'm not complaining because I think that was one of the greatest lessons I ever had. Mm. But if I wanted any spending money, I would have to go out and do something. So my first job was lifeguarding. What? I lifeguarded at a country club because I was a swimmer. And so I would, I yeah, would easy for you. practice. I'd train in the morning. Uh -huh. I'd lifeguard during the day. Then I'd go back and train again in the afternoon. Oh my God. And that's where I earned a little bit of pocket money uh -huh. to, to go off and, and have, you know, if I wanted to go out and eat, if I wanted to buy something for myself. Right. You know, that's, that's what I did until I got my second job, which was waitering. You know, I you wait, waited tables. I waited tables at a country club. So, wow. and Ironically, I got my job okay. from the manager who was Cebuano oh, in the States. Yeah. This is, this is in, this is outside of San Francisco okay. in, in Menlo Park. So, wow. you know, th those are my early hustle days. But again, it was, you know, it was just about working hard. And mm. I, till this day, the youth look at 
successful people and they say they had a great idea. I have a great idea. It's going to work for me. What they don't see are the countless thousands of hours that these entrepreneurs spend Correct. unglamorous, doing everything from A to Z, mm -hmm. from CEO to janitor mm -hmm. and everything in between. And you're, you're absolutely right. And they always say it's success is an iceberg, right? What you see at the tip is the finished product, but all the hustle and sacrifice and all, all the unsexy and painful stuff is right at the bottom. That's what catapulted the success to the surface. But I want to zero in on one thing because this is one, the reason why I really wanted you on the fifth episode, because for those people that listen to this episode, for, to this podcast for the past five years, first of all, I'm sorry if you've been listening to my voice for the past five years. I know it's annoying, but people know that I talk about sports every time. That if I didn't play basketball and structured basketball in a varsity setting when you're actually trying to win, because Calia basketball is fun, but there's no structure there. You're, there's no training the, 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 the sometimes the beauty is the training mm -hmm. and the fun part is at the game nah you'll, you'll, you'll just see what what happens but again being a sportsman very early what did you learn from yourself especially that you're also being self-sufficient waiting tables being a lifeguard you had to make ends meet to you know get something extra aside from what your dad is sending you but what were those things that you developed early on in hustling that you still carry till this day well, you know, I, I think people ask me, why, why did you get involved in sports and why do you continue to stay in sports until today yeah. at my age? And, you know, my father had poor health almost all his life. He, he had his first heart attack when he was 40. Whoa. He had a uh, quadruple bypass when it was still experimental surgery. Oh my gosh. And I, you know, I witnessed how difficult it was for him. Mm all his life. And I think maybe subconsciously, mm. you know, I, I entered sports because I love, I love competition. I, I really, yes. if I could compete in everything, I would, you know, my, my, my <laughs> wife, mentality right there. Well, my, my wife says it's my character flaw, but it, it's just, it's who I am. So I love the, the concept of competing. I played, I played little league baseball start when I first started, but I didn't like that because I didn't do well in a team environment. It's so, interesting because I'll come full circle okay. and explain why. But I didn't like losing a game because someone struck out or someone dropped the ball. And I had other friends who were swimming. Okay. And I didn't know how to swim. I didn't learn to swim till I was almost nine, eight what? and a half, nine. Okay. And so then I joined the swim team. I swam with them. And I realized that your success or failure is you. Either you put in the time, you train hard, you improve your technique, but if you lose, you look at yourself in the mirror, what could I have done better? Correct. And so that kind of, I love that idea of, it's just you look mm -hmm. in the mirror and, and give it your best shot. And I spent, you know, 13 years of my life, twice a day, every day, 50 weeks a year, wow. you know, training and competing. Cause I, I love that rush. I, I love the butterflies in the stomach before an event. But you, you raised a valid point. Mm. The journey of training is also very important and Correct. enjoyable. Correct. It's enjoyable. I look at some of my teammates, you know, you, when you're out there swimming 15, 20,000 meters a day, right. you know, you share that common bond of, of, yes. of the, the journey. 
Yes. And th- that journey also, again, embeds the one thing that prepares you for success. Uh, discipline, sacrifice, camaraderie, teamwork, and all those things in, in between. So that when you get to the A game or the time when you need to deliver, it's just gravy now. Because you've done this before in a harder, harder environment while you're being yelled at by the coach <laughs> profusely as well. But okay, now you've already given us the, the setting of how you did it in USC. Again, you're not just uh, there. You're a part of the swim team and whatnot. So after this, you know, when did you decide that, all right, after college, did you stay on in the States first before you decided to, to come back? What was the first few hustles that you did? Well, I would say, you know, coming from the Philippines and then swimming in the States, very different. I was mm. big fish in the little pond, Ooh. right? So then I, I get to the U.S. and I'm training and I, I go to USC, which mm. was one of the top three programs yep. in the nation, uh, NC2A Division One, And mm. I, you know, I barely make it onto the team as a walk-on. Wow. Uh, teammates are Olympic gold medalists, all American swimmers from, Ooh. you know, top swimmers from other countries. Uh-huh. And so just being in a situation where you're with the best in the world was really an eye-opening opportunity for me. Uh-huh. And then my senior year, I got voted team captain, oh. which had not happened to a non-scholarship walk-on athlete before. Oh, you walked on? I walked on. Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, to be a scholarship Swimmer at USC back then, okay. you, you basically had to be top, recruited. top right. 50 recruited. Mm. I was none of that. Wow. And I got to USC my freshman year with a broken leg. What? I broke my leg in a car accident, almost lost my leg. And I had to show up in a cast, in a fiberglass oh cast. My but the coach says, if you don't work out, you don't get to stay on the team. So I swam with a fiberglass cast and a pool boy for the first three months just to keep a spot on the team. How are you even, <laughs> is that even legal right now? I don't think that no, they would that would not, that would right. not, they that would, would not happen in today's <laughs> days. But it was, you know, and I look back on it, it was character building, it shaped me. Correct. You know, and so my senior year when they, they picked captains, I, I was shocked because, you know, most teams have a lot of trash talking. Mm, and, of course. and the guy it's said, part of, oh, the game. Know, part of the game. And the guy said, oh, you've been picked captain. I was like, yeah, you're yanking my chain. Right. No way in hell. And um, <laughs> I'd heard it from enough people. And so uh-huh. I, I went to the coach and I said, coach, they're telling me I was picked captain. And he, he said, that's right. I said, coach, I'm not anywhere near being a top swimmer on this team. He goes, they didn't pick you because you were the fastest in the pool. They picked you because they think you can lead. I love it. And so to me, that was my first leadership opportunity at the age of 20. I was 20 wow. when that happened. So with some, you know, Olympic athletes on there. And I, I look back at that as probably my first experience to influence without authority. Correct. I might have been a team captain, but I'm looking at all these guys who are great swimmers. And what do I contribute to a team organization now in an individual sport? Mm-hmm. How do I try and collaborate and inspire to do well as a team, even though what you do is an individual event in the pool. Correct. So that then gave me the transition after school, even though I wanted to stay on one more year because I was at USC, 1983, Mm -hmm. the Los Angeles Olympic Games are at USC in 1984. And I, um, I told my father, I wanted to spend one more year and swim for the Olympics. And he said, then you're on your own. Well, 
Oh my gosh. So you can maybe, you know, work and then train at the same time. Okay. And I didn't do it. I went out, I, I got a job in banking and I did that. And that next summer I watched a lot of my teammates swim at the Olympics. So probably one of their regrets in life. But I also look back at it now is I didn't want it bad enough because I would have sacrificed that one year like so many other athletes do. They don't have it easy. You know, I look at our athletes here in the Philippines who have it really difficult and yet they find a way to make it work. Correct. So it's about being gritty. And I I probably wasn't gritty enough. No, but you know, I I share this moment. The moment I realized, and I, I got this very on, so I played varsity basketball in the UAAP. And then I started again, Doing because when you're when you're a student athlete, you sacrifice so much of your social life. I mean, what do you think you're missing out on? And then after the the season, I was like, all right, I'm gonna start enjoying myself. Started doing, started drinking, all that, and then I realized I never really gave myself a chance. Also, or a shot. It's like I got distracted, mm-hmm. and I know ex- it, it, what you're telling me that, that feeling like. And then you start seeing all your contemporaries doing well. And I'm like, why am I not doing that? And that. It's a gut-wrenching feeling like, oh, I should have done that. But one thing that also happened to me, Fred, is that, all right, all that desire and passion, I learned how to pa- channel it into business, mm-hmm. to a different hustle. Same mentality, same grit, same intensity, but I did it in business. Did that happen to you as well when you started doing it in banking? And how did, it, did you translate everything that you learned in sports to doing it in business? I didn't probably translate that much coming out of school for the couple, almost three years mm-hmm. that I went into banking in, in the US before I, I came back to the mm-hmm. Philippines. But I certainly did bring it here because, mm. you know, I was in an environment in a family business right. where, you know, again, here's my father easily working 65, 70, Oof. 80 hours a week. Oh my God. You know, and yeah. thinking nothing of it. And I, I didn't want to be that person who was riding on his father's coattails yeah. and not earning my, my keep. So I made sure I was in the office before he was, Wow, you know, and left maybe around the same time he does, you know, just, just to have the respect of people that you put in the time. Correct. But you know, you don't get there without putting in that, that time. But then the next step is more than just working hard. It's working smart. And why are you there? Mm. What is the purpose? What is Alaska's reason to be? Correct. And, you know, we we were competing against other large companies, Nestle in particular. Ooh. And, you know, the world's largest food company. Yeah. So very, very daunting. And, you know, I wasn't happy with just being second best. It's just, <laughs> Here you go. Your competition. It, my competitive is juices, again, right? right? And so I, you know, I, I spoke with my father. And I said, yeah. we can be successful. We can win. Mm. But we have to have, you know, what is going to be our flag in the ground? We want to be the leading providers of affordable nutrition in the Philippines. Yep. And that's something everyone at Alaska could get around, whether you were in IT or in human resources, sales, marketing, everyone can be part of that vision. Yep. Same North Star. Working in that same direction. We used that for a long time and we were successful. We started, we had top market share in Ivaparada, in Condensada, mm-hmm. you know, but it's because people bought into that vision. Yep. And in the beginning, you know, I was looking, where do we get the talent to do it? Some of it was homegrown. Some of it we uh, hired from the outside. Right. But over my duration, 
we would have people who spent 15, 20, 25, 30 years with us. Wow. You know, I was really proud of our ability to attract and retain talent. Sounds good. All right. Now, last question before we take our first break. Again, at the end of the day, every hustler or every entrepreneur, we take bits and pieces from our mentors growing up, especially the, the formative years that we have. And especially you coming in from a sports background, you know, I'm pretty sure your coaches or your early mentors really left an indelible mark with you. Before we take our first break, who are the best mentors you've had and what did you learn from them? What did they teach you that still uh, you carry till this day? Well, my coach in college, you know, Peter Dayland, he's not one of coach who yelled at you. Oh, he, he was not a yeller, but when <laughs> okay. you didn't swim well, he would just give you this look of disapproval. Oh, and man. that look was so piercing. It was like getting gut kicked oh, and, man. You, and you felt embarrassed and you, yes. just, you didn't want him to look at you. So, you know, I, I figured it's a silent way of motivating people. Wow. You don't have to jump on a table and scream and rant and rave. Probably my, my biggest mentor all this time has been my father. Very different style though. He, he did, he would yell and he would <laughs> go on and on and on. But I, you know, sacrifice and perseverance are really great characteristics. Mm. And, you know, I, I fast forward till about maybe 10 years ago when I started to read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth. Yep. And she talks about passion and perseverance are the keys. You know, I've given maybe 50, 60 copies of that book out to people I work with, people I mentor. Yep. It, it's such an important perspective to share for entrepreneurs. Yes. So, you know, those are my two uh, mentors that I learned from. And, you know, I don't think we have enough time to go into the details, yeah. but they had an indelible mark on my life. So I'll just follow on on that. So with those two, those are very stark differences. So I grew up or my leadership style for the longest time until recently when I realized like, hey, I cannot do the angry coach style of leadership anymore. Because I was like that too. In Tagalog, I was being that. So my vocabulary in Tagalog, and you know this in basketball coaches, that's their love language. <laughs> Cussing mm -hmm. you out, screaming in front of you in the middle of the game to get your act right. And that's also how I think in my game. I, I also, again, attribute my grit to my coaches. But the bad thing that I got from that is I cannot just carbon copy that and take that to a company and expect everyone to understand. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to become the silent piercing. I just say I'm disappointed. And I, that took a lot of pain also because I, got, I lost a lot of people in the process that were, would have been great. It should have been with me still had I evolved earlier. But how did you develop your style given those two stark differences in really becoming a leader? You make mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I came out, I went to a good school, had a great education. I thought I knew a lot. And, you know, when you're 20 something year olds, you really don't know. You, you think you do. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was, I was brash and I, I felt yeah, I'm going to set the world on fire. Yep. And then you start making some mistakes and you start making mistakes with people. Yeah. In, uh, in business, you learn all the quantifiable analysis, Correct. right? But it's the qualitative yes. aspect that is, in my opinion, the secret sauce. Yeah. And that's where I learned to manage and lead and support people mm. in different ways. So there's not a one size fits all. Some people, yes, I can be more vocal and more 
overbearing. <laughs> there are others that need to be cajoled and nurtured. Yes. And there are others that need support in a different way. So over time, you begin to learn how different people respond to different forms of motivation. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I, and the pain in losing them, or it's like, oh man, this could have been my, it's like, like, this could have been my Johnny Abarientos, but I overscolded him that apparently he should have been a more of a soft type of leadership. It's like, that's when it hurts because you realize how, how hard and how irreplaceable people are once they're out of your team. Right. And yeah, it's, and, it's hard. You know, one person can make a difference. You know, yep. they say it doesn't, they, they do make a difference. Correct. But in a team environment, if you can have a collection of really good people, not yes. necessarily superstars because superstars by and large tend to be prima yeah, donnas, exactly. you know, <laughs> but I think if you get really great people who are willing to role players, with, role players plus, correct, right. Who are, who are also going to be willing to, to give up the ball, mm. you know, and let someone else score, but everyone takes pride in the victory. Yes, absolutely. And again, success is always a team sport. Now let's take our first break. And when we come back, we will now talk about what it took when you actually joined Alaska at the helm and how did Alaska technically grow and the challenges you had to overcome while you're running Alaska. But let's talk about that more after the break. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Hey, hustlers. How are companies like Pizza Hut, Tech in Asia, and Love Bonito saving $28,000 a year? Well, Aspire is an all-in-one finance solution designed for modern businesses. Over 15,000 companies across Asia are using Aspire to streamline business financial processes, saving both time and money. Now, Aspire understands the demand of your business, and these are their offers. Lightning-fast international transfers, enabling money movement across 130-plus countries. The best FX rates with no hidden fees, ensuring transparency. And multi-currency accounts in U.S. dollars, euros, great British crowns, Singaporean dollar, Indonesian rupiah, and more, facilitating transactions in multiple currencies. And guess what? Opening an account can be done 100% online, making access to a global business account effortless. Aspire works with thousands of startups across Asia, offering an easy way to open a business account to receive investments from VCs. Aspire is backed by global top-tier VCs, including Sequoia and Y Combinator, and has been recognized by CB Insights as one of the top 100 most promising fintechs globally. Join over 15,000 businesses across Asia that have already made the switch to Aspire and experience the future of business finance. For more details, visit AspireApp.com. That's A-S-P-I-R-E-A-P-P.com. Again, that's AspireApp.com. And let's make business finance simple, integrated, and borderless together. 
We're living in weird times, so EsquireMag.ph is here to remind you about all things that matter, from current events, culture, style, food, money, cars, so you can have a feeling and can form an opinion about all aspects of the world you live in. EsquireMag.ph, the single best source for everything you love, intelligent and stylish, timely and timeless, substantial and irreverent, and a little bit weird. Everything that matters is here. EsquireMag.ph And we're back in the break. We are still with Fred Uiteng Su again of Alaska. What still? I am still starstruck. I'm just trying my, my best not to squeal like a little girl here because I am. Man, you're, you're, you're one of my idols. And... Super, super connecting with you with a sports background. So thank you again, Endeavor, for letting this happen. But okay, I've seen this happen before in previous guests of Household Share that had to go through a changing of the guard when they inherited their business. And they come with a fresh new perspective, especially if they're educated from the States. They wanted to implement, but they also had to also deal with the old guard uh, as well. I wanted to understand when you started coming back, what were the challenges you had to overcome and what was your mindset when you had to then contribute and work in Alaska with your father? You know, the first is coming into a family business, not just working for and with my father, but with uncles and with cousins. So, you know, we think we had seven cousins and four uncles involved in the business. So it was a very different environment to what I had been used to. Yeah in the US. And I would say I took some time to to understand mm. that there was perhaps a little bit of entitlement yeah. in amongst the family, which I'd been away for the Philippines for 10 years. Oh, and wow. so, you know, I, I came back once a year, but not in that situation. And I grew up in an environment of a meritocracy. Correct. So you earn your keep. The concept of, you know, nepotism wasn't there. And you know, I'd had conversations with my father and he said, you, you need to earn your keep. Right. You need to prove why you should be here. So there's some challenges uh, amongst the family uh-huh. in the beginning. Over time, I think we got to that acceptance that we check our names at the door uh-huh. and we're here to do a job. Uh-huh. And so let's do the best, including the people that work with us, mm. you know, and it's work with us, not work for us. Right. I was really, really adamant. It's very about big that. difference. Over time, some family members didn't continue with us. Mm. We started relying more on professional management. Got it. All the while, still having uh, another uncle and a couple of cousins involved with that. But we were going more in that direction. I would say a turning point for us is when we took Alaska Milk public oh. right before the '97 Asian contagion. Right. Business contagion. <laughs> right? And it all crumbled. And that was that was a really a tough sell to the family because we'd been used to running a family business. You're accountable right. to no one except at the, the board table. Once you become public, you have outside shareholders, you're, you're sharing your financials, you're sharing your strategy, you're yep. showing your earnings per quarter. But I felt it was really a way for us to get better is just to be held accountable to a broader audience. Right. So I go on road shows. I convince the family this is the way to go. We were successful in taking the company public. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the, the economic crisis of 97 
It was Oof. a difficult period for us to go through. Salke, you, you were winning championships during this era to at least come. Well, yeah, but you know, winning championships doesn't necessarily boost your stock price. Absolutely. We do sell a little bit more milk at, right. during those times, but mm-hmm. that was still a very big learning experience, but something mm-hmm. where I felt that the company got stronger as a result. Right. We also gave shares to our key employees. Mm-hmm. And so they became owners nice. in the company. And I feel when you share ownership yeah. and that can be financial ownership it also can be sharing ownership and decision making these are really key key attributes in building a team that's amazing because if you you know if you feel you have the right answer and no one has a monopoly on the right answer mm-hmm. you share that with your team and you you move together i mm. think you have a higher probability of success now look at some of the great entrepreneurs of this time you know does elon musk do that Probably not. Right. Yeah, but he's a rare bird. Right? <laughs> yes. Did Steve Jobs do that? Absolutely. No, I've read every book on Steve Jobs. <laughs> Correct. But these are outliers. Mm-hmm. But I think by and large, if you look at many successful entrepreneurs, they've worked with a team. A team's been backing them. It's just that that person, whoever he or she is, right. they're the face of the company. Exactly. And again, they're, they're the ones that really rallied or paved the way for everyone. And again, you're, you're right. It's rare that you get those types that become mega superstars. But at the end of the day, we all rely with our team. And that's what I want to understand. So when you started making these subtle changes, right, who did you surround yourself with? Because you cannot just do it alone. Of course, Fred, as you, of course, there's a family and whatnot, but you need your lieutenants to carry on the, the mandate or the, the, the mm-hmm. roles. Again, like a team, like a team captain again, right. but this time in a different setting. Who are these very important people that you surround and what were their skill sets and what did they have to do to get you to that common goal that you set? You know, a couple of the people in our leadership team had been with us for some time. Okay. Two in particular had been there with my father and they, they oh. stayed on. I had gone out and recruited our marketing head, our, oh. our sales head, you know, our IT person. And so... Everyone had a skill set. Yeah. They all worked together about how we wanted to go about things. Mm-hmm. And it was it was just that this is the vision of being the leading providers of affordable nutrition. Right. How do we go about doing that? Improve your distribution. Make sure you have compelling TV campaigns. Mm-hmm. Making sure that your costs of goods are competitive so you have a gross margin so that you can continue to reinvest in A&P and distribution. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's probably an oversimplified approach to it, but right. everyone everyone had their contribution. Mm-hmm. And when they didn't, they were held accountable. Mm. So in a positive way. Of course. You know, we, there were come to Jesus meetings, you know, that not everything went the way we wanted. Right. And so people had to face the fire. But we did it because we're going to do well. We can't have a weak mm-hmm. link in this chain. Mm-hmm. And touch wood, we... You know, we had success. We were able to mm-hmm. get to the point where we also acquired, you know, part of Nestle's liquid bi- milk business. Mm-hmm. And that was to me a big feather in our cap because, you know, we weren't just winning in the trade. We were got to the point where we mm-hmm. could acquire part of their business. Got it. Now I'll go into the weeds a little bit because I don't, I've never actually got, I don't remember the last time I asked this question. Probably I haven't, but one thing Doing the prep for this interview, so again, shout out to Endeavor. I was talking to your assistant, uh, Ching. So shout out, Ching. She's like, Ron, you have to know that uh, Mr. Ui Teng Su never is late on time. So it's like, man, what are the habits 
that you've developed and how in managing your time and resources, because everything is finite and scarce, right? How do you channel in which things to, uh, you know, focus on? Because there's, it's whack-a-mole a lot of times, yeah. right? Like, oh my, there's a thousand moles. I only have two hammers at most, right? How do you decipher which one to do first? And how do you then manage your time and still manage to be on time? And you did, you beat me here again. Apologies, but no how, do you, how do you do it? You know, it's, it's trying to identify what is important and then what is important and urgent, right? Mm. Because you can work until 10, 11 o'clock at night right. and still not have everything done. But you also need to pace yourself. Mm. So, you know, it was just my estimate of, okay, these are the these are the three things that absolutely must get resolved today or that the team must address okay. by X date. And mm. when you have that, transparency of mm -hmm. what needs to get done and everyone sees it, then, you know, my example is the six man skulls, right? Mm. Everyone has to row at this precise cadence in the same direction, the same time. Wow. If one oar goes in early or late, it upsets the speed right. of the boat. Right. So if we're all rowing in unison, then we're going to get there faster than the next boat. Right. You know, it, these, these analogies I've learned over time, just so that people visualize. Correct. If marketing is late with their campaign, but the sales guys have already executed, well, wow. Right. It's like setting a pick early. <laughs> that was your, your A right. plus strategy with your mm -hmm. C plus execution. Failure. Yep. Doesn't yep. work that way. Totally great. Okay. Sorry. I, I had to digress. I needed to know how you do it. So amazing. Now, Again, that journey from the early 90s to again, the, the Asian financial crisis, you did it, you went public before that. But walk us through how Alaska evolved operationally as well, because technology is always going to be a big part of this. You, meant, you say this a lot in Endeavor, you know, that you have to kind of evolve and pre-evolve yourself before you, be, you become obsolete, right? Walk me through these biggest metamorphoses that you've done over time. So 90s, early 2000s up to the 2010s and whatnot. What were these changes that you had to do over time in leading Alaska? You know, I, I liken the industry I was in to tech where the speed of change in tech is so rapid. Oof, yes. You know, I mean, 70% of the products you build today are obsolete next year. It's, yes. it's, it's that kind of speed of change. In the food industry, it's not that rapid. Okay. It's, also, it's primarily about scale. And so we had built scale by that time. How did we build it further? Obviously, you know, better efficiencies in the line, but distribution in FMCG, fast moving consumer goods, right. it's about being available. So distribution is really key. Mm -hmm. Why Alaska and not another brand? So you wanted to have compelling advertising. Right. We were a big proponent of using endorsers mm -hmm. The Filipino is, is starstruck, right? Yes. And so whether it's Sharon Cuneta or Gary Valenciano yep. or whoever else, th they helped us in a very positive way. They also had really good positive values to share with our consumers. The PBA was a massive, a massive bonus to our, our campaign going forward mm -hmm. because here we are, you know, selling milk, which is selling sports, health, nutrition, height. All these things that I think people want to see or parents want to see yes. in, in their children. So we leverage, I feel, better than any other team in the PBA, mm. the use of the basketball team 
in our business strategy. And you did. I'm, I grew up with it. It's going to be embedded with me. And again, I just want to commend how you guys did it. Cause like I driven past your factory in San, San Pedro, San Pedro, borderline Muntinlupa. Cause that's mm-hmm. where I bought my very first pressure washers for my pressure washing service business called Papa Pressure. I just had to plug. All right. And I drive by and I, I was like, wow, this factory has solars on, on their, uh, their roofs all the time. So just the efficiency that I can just imagine from the outside looking in, it's like, I can just imagine what the type of innovation that you also have built in that, that production line. So amazing. Now you talked about the team and this is where I'm excited a lot because I'm a best ball junkie. Again, shout out to the slasher, Rodney Santos. Um, that was my idol growing up. But the Alaska team, right? This is probably the full circle moment of you being a competitor and running. Walk me through, because you guys didn't go in the early days of the PBA. You came in somewhere later along the road. But when you came in and you found that mojo, you just kept winning chips on chips on chips. And then Grand Slam moments in the in the 90s, especially again. I'm a 90s kid. Uh, uh, walk me through how you then decided that this is a nice bet. Because you said you that was a big chunk of your marketing budget for, for a long time. Walk me yeah. through the decision to create the basketball team of the Alaska Milkmen. That was my, that's right. what I, before it became the Aces. Right. Well, again, you, you jump to kind of like the fruits of our labor with the Grand Slam and the team of the 90s. But right. we started the team in 1986. To be honest with you, it was my father's idea. Mm. I was not a basketball player growing up. I was <laughs> a swimmer. And so I quickly had to figure out, you know, how do we do this? Um, <laughs> you know, some some rudimentary research about how to start a team, what was involved, what were the costs, yep. and what were the perceived benefits. Mm. And we realized at that time, based on the, the quantifiable analysis, okay. that you were getting about, for 25 centavos in cost, we were getting a peso of value. Wow. And, and that was a combination of radio, okay. TV, and print media. So we figured when we were playing, now it doesn't, it didn't calibrate to what they were saying about you. Right. You know, if you're winning championships, great news. If you're the Kulela, well, <laughs> that's a different story. <laughs> Correct. But, you know, in the in the beginning, we said, let's go forward with this. Mm-hmm. And I tried to do everything as professional as could be. But I was 24 years old. So what did I really know? Mm-hmm. Didn't know the game of basketball. Didn't really know the PBA. Right. And I was trying to lead a team with a coaching staff and players. And I was younger than everyone else. Right. And, but I was also, I felt more determined than everyone else. Mm. And I hate to lose. Yes. I actually hate to lose more than I like to win. Right. And so that began a quick cycle of changing coaches. We went through so many coaches in a short period of time. Right. But then, you know, when, when, when I asked Tim to come on board and we still weren't successful at the beginning. Right. What we changed differently is we said, we're going to play defense. And if you remember early days of the PBA, nobody played defense. No, it was right? a run to high to the highest score. Yeah, first one to 140. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened is you can have bad days offensively, but your only bad days on defense is when you don't decide to work hard. Correct. And defense keyed our offense, mm. and that, and then we quickly adopted the triangle offense, and we found out that you didn't have to have the best players nope. to do that. You had to be unselfish. You had yep. to play as a team. And that was that was the beginning of a different style of, of basketball. And we were fortunate to have a lot of good players come through the Alaska organization over right. time that embraced that. 
And that, mm. that worked for quite some time until, you know, unfortunately the PBA started going in a different direction. We had the problem with the Phil Shams. Yeah. You know, we had a problem with the salary cap. And then we had the problem with these lopsided trades. <sighs> and, you know, unfortunately, it was the demise of how we saw the league should be run. No, and regardless of, again, having the, the lopsided trades and also the, the, the sister companies and whatnot, you stayed competitive every single time. There are going to be some dark days, but every single time. That's why a lot of people were rooting for you because you were that in one of those indie teams that, you know, you know there's that you know that's just going to be there to win. And I love it. But I, I'll print, run this back from the business side. So you mentioned that, again, okay, there's a lot of ROI in terms of running the team. Mm -hmm. But walk me through the dynamics of how to run that team from an, an exec or a uh, governor, they call you governors right. or team owners at that point to make it work. Because there's a lot of, basketball is not an easy sport to, to run. A lot of egos, a lot of <laughs> characters that you have to go through. But how did you then make that all whatever's happening in the team to still make sense from a corporate standpoint. Because at the end of the day, it's a marketing expense. Right. It has to make sense. How did that all work out? Well, the, the easy answer to that is it makes sense when you stay within budget, mm. right? Now, how do you stay in budget and still be successful? Okay. So, I mean, there were, there were a few things that we did. One is I spent a lot of personal time okay. with the team, with the coaching staff, with the players, and when I was younger, I could do that probably in my mid-20s until probably my mid to late 30s, okay. which is when we began to really hit the stride. Yep. And, you know, I'd show up at practice. I was at every wow. game, you know. I was in the dugout at, at halftime. And I felt like I built good relationships with many of, of the players. Mm -hmm. And I, I would try and paint a vision for them. Mm. I, and I we were the first team to give out championship rings. So when we, when we first won our first championship in 1991, I was shocked that no other teams had given rings. What? So we gave our, and we took our team to Hong Kong. <laughs> yes. Teams had gone bonus. on trips. Mm -hmm. You know, that was the bonus. So, and we did it with the player and their either wife or girlfriend, you know, to bring them there so that the spouse could enjoy the fruits Correct. of their husband's labor. Correct. So these were little things that I felt people would go the, the extra mile. So we were starting doing that. And then I, I told them the story, I'd, you know, before a game five, game six, game seven, when it was really payday time, right. I'd say, think about what it's going to be like when you're Lolo and your Apo is sitting on your lap. And he says, Papa, what is that ring on your finger? <sighs> you know, so I try and paint these stories for them. It might sound corny, but I have quite a few players who said, you know, that really resonated with me. I love it. And I have players today that I still stay in touch with, they come up and they say, you know, there are lessons that I learned in how the team was run that made me play well. Didn't work with everyone because- mm. Yeah, it's not one size fits all. It's uh. not, well, what happened was that the greed factor came into the equation. Ah, okay. And, you know, we're playing a payer max salary for five years and he, they say they want to be traded. Well, the only way you want to be traded is because another team's offered you under the table. Right. Absolutely. And that was the beginning of the challenges where no matter how hard you work, when you have an, an uneven playing league. field, yeah. mm -hmm. it's hard to stay competitive. Got it. Now, last, uh, I want to do a deep dive on that one a mm -hmm. little bit. So 
as a team owner, of course, you're trying to impart knowledge, wisdom, and again, uh, a lot of a lot of learning in between. But how did that experience of running the Alaska team also teach you to become a better leader and a better exec when you came back to a proper desk and a proper yeah. environment in, in Alaska? Well, profound impact because I I saw the importance of how we needed to work as a team. Mm. And I would I grew up in an individual sport. Right. So that's where I realized if there were disagreements in the company between sales and marketing or, you know, accounting and finance, that we needed to work better as a team. So that having the team yes. helped me work better as an executive with my leadership team. Love it. And it was, you know, it was a wonderful byproduct. I would never have expected to have learned that. But I, I learned the same principles on you know, share the ball, yes. don't, be, don't be selfish, mm -hmm. do the same thing in the business. And it, it worked. That's why, again, I always say it uh, for the people that are fed up listening to the hustle share, basketball is the ultimate epitome. And I got the foundation, of course, never got to the, to the pro level, but the, the essence of sharing the ball, being selfless, doing your role, playing defense before you're doing offense. And that translates. Doing the hard lot. work. I mean, people want, that celebration, but if you don't do the grunt work, mm. you never get a chance then. No to chance in showtime. Absolutely. All right. Last few questions before we take our, our second break. Now, again, when you decided that it was time to sell Alaska as a team, what people didn't know is you also sold Alaska as a company. Now, that's what I wanted to understand because a lot of people, especially in, in a family business, tend to turn this on and then uh, and become it becomes a generational thing. And then there's also this number, at least from the, from the States, that the businesses don't survive after the third generation mm -hmm. and it starts dwindling down. Walk me through this. And again, this is not common knowledge that you actually sold the company and you still even kept the team for a couple, couple more years because it was a very effective marketing channel, right? Why did you decide to sell Alaska as a company? Considering that it's also public, that wasn't easy. No, but you know, even though Alaska is public, we still had controlling interests of, of the mm -hmm. company by by a long shot. And we've been approached for many times mm, to, to okay. sell the company over the years. And it's not something that we we really entertained. Mm -hmm. But there there came a point where there was a, a compelling offer okay. for our family to sell, which would have also done very well for our shareholders. Mm, and this is also an opportunity for our key execs to benefit as well. So, you know, we, we had a family meeting to discuss, is this the right time for us to do this? Mm -hmm. It gives us an opportunity to go look at other opportunities, whether it's in business or in philanthropy or in other. And we decided that's what we were going to do. Got so it. in the process, we were able to enrich our shareholders nice. in the public market as well yeah. to our executives, okay. you know, to grant them a, a special deal. And, you know, there, there's a life cycle. I wasn't sure if any of my children were going to come back and want to run the business. Okay. And nor did I want to force any of them. It's different when my father expected me to come back. I knew full well that's what he wanted. And mm -hmm. That's what I was going to do. You know, the next generation is different. Some of them may, some of them may not want to. And mm -hmm. are they ready? Are they ready to do the job? Correct. So that was the, the conclusion when we sold Alaska Milk to Friesland Campina. Mm -hmm. It was with the understanding we would keep the team for at least five years. Wow. That part was not disclosed, uh -huh. obviously, because it worked for as long as I was going to continue to run the company. Right. I was there spending time 
with the team, running the company, it made sense. And then during the pandemic, we were actually abroad when the lockdown started happening. So we were in the U.S. and we ended up being in the U.S. for two years straight. Oh, my gosh. I'd never been away from home. For that long. (laughs) For that long. Uh-huh. And obviously, all the problems we had here, the problems for, for people, the businesses, yep. the PBA. Production. It, it, was, it yes. was a very challenging experience for everyone. But it was also the realization that, you know, maybe I'm not going to be here at every game and going to practice. Got it. And I felt that in some way helped make us competitive. Yeah. But I also was looking at the way the league was going to be moving forward. And could we be successful of winning the right way versus not being involved? And, you know, the Friesen campaign didn't have someone else to step in and run the business. Mm. So we we reached a really difficult decision. And I have to say it was probably uh, one of the saddest times in my career to have to do it because it was almost like one of my children. It was synonymous to you. Like I, I just look forward. One Alaska game for sure. Someone, the camera will pan to you automatically, and there you go, Mister Fred. Do you think so? Better or worse? <laughs> right, no, but it's always there. Right? I always see you in ten, especially if it's a game six or a game seven. Right. <laughs> they pan to you all the so time. So I, I think it was the the right decision. Yeah. And so you know, obviously, Converge bought the team. I hope they're successful. Mm-hmm. And I, I do hope that the PBA is successful, but yeah. in order for that to happen, the league needs to think league first and team second. Yes, absolutely. Again, hopefully, as a basketball junkie, I also am hoping for that. Now, let's take our last break. And when we come back, we will now talk about the real startups that Fred actually launched. Now, Alaska is, again, the, the what he's famous for, but what you didn't know is he also launched other startups that's zero to one that you actually don't know. You're actually probably joining or participating there. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey, hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Filipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. 
Hey Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023 and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor Dragon Pay is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2023. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. We're back from the break. We are still with Fred Uiteng Su, who then told us the amazing journey of uh, selling, uh, running Alaska up to the point that they decided to sell not just the, the team, but also the company. But what people don't know is, yes, you had a zero to one moment here and what uh, with Genosi, right? Uh, with with uh, this, this company. And again, I, I didn't even know what Genosi was and I'm coming in blind here. What is Genosi? And you also had another startup that you did, but we'll, we'll keep that under wraps a little bit until you, after you tell us Genosi. What's Genosi and how did you come up with a, the, the concept of Genosi? So Genosi is actually a joint venture with our family and the OSI group in Chicago. They are the world's largest supplier to McDonald's for oh. protein. And, and what happened was uh, McDonald's Philippines okay. was being supplied by another company. Okay. And we got wind that they were looking for a new supplier. Around that same time, my father and I were having a conversation which turned into a disagreement. Oh, wow. And my father said, you know, you don't understand what I'm talking about because you've never started your own company. And until you start your own company, you'll never understand. Wow. And that was really a... That was painful, right? Okay. Because it was, he's right. You know, who am I to, to, to come with all these comments when I, I haven't started my own business? Right. So um, I threw my hat in the ring. I met with these people. And uh, the GEN of Genosi stands for General Milling, which was another one of our family companies. Got it. So we took our ability in poultry processing um, and then merged that with OSI which, on the beef side of the business. And we became McDonald's supplier, exclusive supplier in 1990 when they only had 35 restaurants. Right. So we fast forward to today, they have 750 plus restaurants growing to a thousand. We supply 13 different products for them. That's and amazing. That, that gave me really my first experience of a startup business looking at, you know, the business plan to the sensitivity analysis to right. building a plant to staffing and, and then, you know, working with McDonald's. And we also then supply many other companies aside from McDonald's 
So uh, as a guy that. that eats a lot of burgers, thank you for the beef patties, friend. And I don't know what else you provide them, but thank you. I I I, I love triple cheeseburgers. There you I go. Want, they're they're off menu. They're they're my preference. But oh my god, I didn't even know this. So, okay, what was that? Since since your father told you that, and now you experiencing zero to one. What did you learn through this process of going from, again, idea to execution and really doing hyperscale at, the, at this moment as an entrepreneur? What, what did that do for you? Well, I think I had the benefit. A lot of entrepreneurs, not, a, not all, but a lot start when they've had zero business experience. Mm. I had the benefit of working, you know, in a, in a corporate bank in America right. for, for several years and then coming back in the family business. So I had about 14 years of business under wow. my belt. That that helped me, but it's that that sheer pressure to get something from zero to one. Yes. That many people don't understand Oof. from from the get-go. And it's being everything from janitor to to CEO. Yes. Now fortunately, we were able to, you know, to start up with enough capital yep. that we were able to hire people, you know, the facilities. But mm. it's it's also about proving, you know, proof of concept. Mm. This is what we're going to do. We had to prove ourselves to McDonald Philippines right. that we were capable, that we had the food safety systems in place, that we could provide assured supply. Right. You know, seven days a week because that's a business that doesn't. Nope, they're sleep. not Chick Fil A. They're they're they're, they're closed. I mean, they're open seven days a week. They're not closed on Sundays. Right. <laughs> so you know, I I also a lot of pride in working with the people to to get that yeah i was just at the plant last week and mm-hmm. you know so we have people who joined us in 1989 yeah we're still with the company Amazing. today right yeah. and, okay and, and if this is your real baby baby and of course you're still running it and then what how did you create the first north star and did that north star evolve along the way in genosi to, to really come along because that's that's actually the what I'm super amazed with entrepreneurs that's been in the game for for so long because you're gonna get hit with curveballs, breaking balls, and even balls out of left field. Right. You don't know what you don't know until it hits, and then. But I want to understand how you navigate through those rough waters along the way because you can only control so much. Yeah, I think from business to business, your north star changes. Correct. Right. In this case, you know we we're supplying to McDonald's, so mm. to a greater extent. We are reliant on their ability to grow, increase the number of restaurants. But what we can do is, you know, we need to make sure that food safety is is paramount. Yes. You know, instill that in our people um, to be dynamic and create new products. So we we developed the Burger McDo. Uh, I love it. We developed the Longanisa. I love it. So these are- I haven't had lunch yet. Now I'm starting- (laughs) But, but these are products that, you know, so it, it, we need to constantly evolve right. to prove our value to our customer and yeah. to our other customers that are not McDonald's, just being able to do that. So the, the North Star was, you know, not be complacent in these particular areas. Uh, in the food, if you have a technical defect in a watch or a phone, nah. not the end of the world. If you have a technical default, the problem is food. It's a big problem. 
right? So and it's something we can take be a PR soon. nightmare if it ends up in the wrong hands. Right? Absolutely, uh, those people that oh my god, what is my burger triangle, you know, <laughs> right. or whatnot? But uh, that's amazing. But again, this is just another startup. But I, that what I'm really interested with is you, people. Most people probably don't even know this by now that you started Iron Man here in the Philippines. I okay. So when you mentioned earlier that you broke your your leg, mm-hmm. I felt that because I broke my ankle a couple of years ago doing a bike. I'm not, I have bad hips right now. I haven't gotten it checked, mm-hmm. but I do like 60 kilometer bike rides for 80 kilometer bike rides before. And I broke it on a rainy ride in a most, uh, the funniest way, because I was doing a turn on a rainy thing and then my bike skid. Fishtailed. Uh, yeah, and then ow, I, I landed on my ankle, sat on it, broke my fibula right mm-hmm. there. So I, I felt that when you said it. But again, Iron Man is is a multifaceted, multi-event um, right. thing. Why did you create Iron Man, and how did that even turn into a business venture? So I, I you know, I was in my mid thirties, and Ooh. we were we were getting a little out of shape. <laughs> so still looking great I, shape. I <laughs> said, you know, let's just do a triathlon. Okay, and it was a short distance race, like seven hundred fifty meter swim. Okay. 10, 10 K run and a, a 10, 20 K bike and a 5 K run. So okay. really short. And, um, you know, I started doing a couple more races and started doing more races here. Yeah. And then I said, you know, got built up to half Ironman distance. Right. So I started racing abroad. I raced in, in Australia, raced in the U S wow. And I realized there's a big gap in terms of the quality of races that were happening here in the Philippines and the races that were happening abroad. What's that gap? The gap, Everything from safety. I mean, you know, with with endurance events, safety is important. Of course. Especially in biking on the roads with, with traffic. <laughs> yep. I swimming <laughs> swimming in the open water. Right. You know, it's also a big, big risk. Uh-huh. Um, and so I talking to the Federation, I said, you know, we need to do things better. And they said it can't be done. So what? typically, you know, necessity is the mother of all inventions. Yeah. So I spent about two years negotiating with Ironman to get the franchise, got the franchise, did the first event here uh, in 2009. Yes. I believe in Kamsur. Yes, we I remember. Less Near CWC. Th- cor- in CWC. In, okay, in CWC. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. And so we had less than 500 athletes uh, at that event uh-huh. and half were foreigners. What? We just didn't have the concept of triathlon really built out. Right. Um, that was successful. We went on to have multiple more events there. Then we started racing all over the country in Subic, in Cebu, in Davao, Bacolod, I mean, Bohol, and just all over the country. And we built the database of triathletes to 20,000. What? Um, <laughs> we had teams all over the country. And really? now we were, you know, we were sending Filipino triathletes to races all correct, over the world, I know including the Ironman World right. Championships. Amazing. So it was it was gratifying because I, I took this really as a hobby, as a, I wouldn't say a weekend warrior because you need to train five, six days a week to do <laughs> no, Ironman. It's not but easy. we took that from being able to share the experience. And there was three things that I wanted to achieve is, is one, to show we could do it in yeah. the Philippines. There's just a pride element that we could do it. I also wanted to create sports tourism, you know, mm. not involved with government, but if, if we can bring tourists to the Philippines via Ironman, right. why not? 
and then giving people the chance to adopt a healthier lifestyle. I love it. And I know so many people that have come up and saying, thank you for doing this. It changed my life. Amazing. And I can tell you that's worth more than any paycheck. When, when someone says, you know, I was 20 pounds heavier or I was on a couch or this and that. And they, you know, they're, they're an inch taller when they're talking to you because they're so excited about their accomplishment. Right. And it's, it's been a very special uh, experience yeah. to, to do that. I can totally relate to what you're saying because when I started Hustle Share as a podcast, right? Six months after I created Podcast Network Asia mm-hmm. with the same goal in mind, just um, in, in a startup ecosystem in the Philippines, majority of the time it's a foreign startup expanding here, dominating the market. You know, there, there's no chance in hell for a local competitor to do right. that. The ship on my shoulder is this now my third startup. Like after losing my first startup, and then uh, exiting my second uh, in Chatbot PH, like, hey, can I, can I be one of those rare breeds that can actually over uh, export podcasting or export what we did here overseas? Right. Now it's a chip in my shoulder. I was like, all right, let me create an ecosystem of podcasting because it didn't exist. When we started this out in 2019, only 20% of the top 200 podcasts in the Philippines were locally made. We had to create the supply with the same chip in my shoulder and your mind in mind. I wanted to show that it can be done here, but reverse. I wanted to create that, hey, a local Filipino company. That's why I called it Podcast Network Asia because I had the region in mind. So we expanded Indonesia. We went from five shows to 230 shows. Now we're talking about 100 million downloads over a span of five years. Congratulations. So we created the whole thing and that same satisfaction that you're saying. When people come to it like, oh, thank you. You're the one who created X amount of podcasts. Now we're, we have shows that are three, four, five years, five years old. And the amount of learning they get, the, our game is very, in, in podcasting is very akin to a marathon. Because you need to release great episodes week on week on week. So also share one of them, right? Um, but the amount of impact you create to create better content, because there's a lot of trash content out there as well. Short form trash content that just, you know, deteriorates the society. Podcasts are different. They, they, they're, they're long form. They make people understand and they make, make people better. If you're listening to this, you probably agree, right? Um, and that's the, the, the thing we're trying to do because nobody else has the stamina the same way you did to actually keep plowing through and doing it for the long term. Because everybody wants that quick buck, that quick win, and then that's it. So amazing. I, I love it. And then what I'll just ask you a couple more questions before I let you go. Now, Again, you've been through this, through that whole journey. But as a CEO, how did your journey evolve? Because at the end of the day, when we talk about, I say it in the zero to one founder, your job is really primarily three things. First off, determine the North Star. Be very, very vivid about that vision. Second is get the right, right resources and capital to make sure you have enough uh, people uh, or you have, have enough resources to get to the North Star. And third, get the right people on the boat. And also fourth is remove any obstacles that nobody else can remove. Did that change over time as you ran a very a public company or, or is this more, or you just get a little bit more complex? Well, I think there are variations of what you described. I would say aside from access to capital is being a good steward of that capital. Correct. And, you know, I, I come from a finance background, so hmm. I, I would hold everyone to be accountable on the financial side, even if they weren't in the finance or accounting department. So, mm-hmm. you know, the salespeople need to know the financial implications, the marketing Correct. folks, the HR folks, 
the operations people. You know, they, they had to understand what the ROI was on what they were doing as well. So to me, that was, that was a common theme in okay. everywhere I've worked, you know, being financially responsible for Love your it. actions. Mm-hmm. Um, do I let it dictate everything? No, but it is, it's very important. Right. Um, but you know, also, also the, the North Star of making sure, are you doing what you're doing for this purpose? Does that further, does it take a step closer to where we want to go? Right. And just constant reminders of, of that. That's amazing. All right. The next question is, at this point, again, entrepreneurship, you've seen this with your father. He works so hard and whatnot. It's not a nine to five job. We bring it at home. We, 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 we sleep with it technically. Mm-hmm. But at, at this point of your career, right? And there's always going to be new challenges. So what still keeps you up at night when, when you're, because <laughs> that's a curse of being an entrepreneur. You really don't really fully rest. Sometimes you're there, but your mind's not present. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good now at, at masking it that I'm here, but sometimes my mind's like, oh, what, right. what's my payroll going to be later, right? So what, what, what still keeps you up at night? Well, I, I think I'm fortunate in that, honestly, okay. uh, and my wife will confirm this, very little keeps me up at night. Wow. And I, I have, I've just been able to compartmentalize things. I love it. So if I got home and I didn't have work to do at home, I just left it. And if there's a problem that needed to be resolved, if it, if, if the factory wasn't on fire, uh-huh. okay, wake up in the morning and, and deal with the situation. So I, I try not to let those things interfere because I was spending a lot of time over my career, you know, like so many other people listening to this and so many people in the working world, you, you work a lot and it takes away from your family. Yes. And that's a I, because I think my father worked so hard and was away from the family, I didn't want to do that. You consciously did. I, I, I consciously did. And it's probably why I'm in the situation I'm in today where I am semi-retired, mm-hmm. you know? And so what keeps me up at night are making sure that my grandchildren are, you know. Lola are, Fred. Lola Very Fred good. is a nice place to be. Um, and, and so that that's where my emphasis is now. And I, you know, could I work till I was 75 and, and, and maybe go from from there to the hospital uh-huh. you know what was unfortunate happened to my father went from his office to the hospital when he when he passed that's a, and that's i'm young sad. enough that i can still enjoy life i enjoy it with my children my grandchildren mm-hmm. but i can still be active and contribute so right. involved in mentoring and board positions in mm-hmm. some business and and still be relevant but mm-hmm. on on my clock Got it. I, I struggle with that. And a lot of people who's listening to this probably struggle. What's your advice to make sure that they can, can compartmentalize? Because it's very hard to do. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I give you an answer because people say, I can't do it. Yeah. I, I, I go <laughs> to sleep hard. and then I wake up and I worry about it. I yep. have some people say they type notes into their phone or they write it down so that they don't forget about it. Mm. And I think it's either you can truly compartmentalize it and don't let mm. it bother you because if you have that voice inside your head who am i to say turn it off Mm. you you can't do that i will say if you can be conscious about maybe you know don't have your phone at the dinner table when you're with your family right you know try and try and have at least that one hour where you have uninterrupted conversation with your family right um that's it now what did i always practice that no do i but i i think if you're just conscious about those things that you give give your family undivided attention, 
Right. That's really important because it's, again, we're, we're life and business and entrepreneurs. It's an Ironman event. Yes. It's, it's a long day. Yes. So you want to have the ability to persevere over that entire journey. Sounds good. All right. Last few questions. Um, at this stage of your career, again, you're semi-retired and whatnot, but you, we don't know it all pretty much still. Who do you still run to for advice? Because again, you, you're, a lot of people go to you for advice and wisdom and whatnot. But at this level, you still ask for advice from people? What's that like? You know, advice or maybe just learning. I mean, mm-hmm. learning from my colleagues in, in YPO. You know, I learned from some of these young entrepreneurs at, in Endeavor. And, you know, honestly, I also learn from some young people. Nice. You know, the Gen Z people. Very different way yes. of working. This yep. morning, my, my wife shared with me an article from Stanford. It says okay. the eight ways how Gen Z will change the way people work. Wow. You know, interesting article because I think, mm-hmm. well, why do they get to change the rules? Don't they have to wait? But it's the way people communicate is Correct. very differently. Yeah. Um, so I would say advice versus learning. So you want to continue. You want to continue to, to learn when you're 99 years old. Love it. Um, and Never and ending journey. It, it is not. I mean, if, if you're not learning, then you're dying. Right. And you're already talking about advice and the best, again, I'm, I'm working on my metrics to be able to, uh, to get to this level and the Endeavor guys know this. I'm not yet at that level working on it, but at least in terms of in spirit, paying it forward, I'm already there. But being in Endeavor, right? What's the best part of being part of the Endeavor network, right? Because this is such an echelon that a lot of people don't even get to see the light of the day with. They're just miles away to get there. Uh, others have already been, I have so many friends that are part of the Endeavor Network mm-hmm. and they, they speak the world of it. But being an Endeavor Network, why is it so special? And uh, what's it like being that uh, network, being as a mentor, especially? Well, I think just so that the listeners realize, you know, Endeavor Philippines is, is about high impact entrepreneurs, people who can really change the game, who create employment. And what's beautiful about this network and endeavors, they all have seen that they're going to continue to pay it forward to help the next generation of entrepreneurs. Yeah. So what I like is what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast is how do you help them avoid the mistakes that they don't need to make? Yes. If they had, if they knew now what they didn't know then, then so much, you know, you've saved them a steep learning curve. You might have saved them millions of pesos yep. in, in mistakes. Mm-hmm. So I think giving them a head start is, is really important. Um, but just the, the, the enjoyment of going through this challenge with them, um, working with, with young people. I mean, this right. is what keeps us young, right? Yes. If you surround yourself with a bunch of old people all the time, <laughs> then, then you're going to continue to get old. I say that facetiously because, you know, <laughs> my, my group is, is older and we're, we're older. But it, being with them and seeing the enthusiasm, yes. I mean, it's, it's really inspiring. You don't want to temper that enthusiasm, but you want to give them a heavy dose of pragmatism. I love it. Just so that they say, okay, this is what I want to do, but not everything's going to work out like utopia. That is amazing. Now, before I let you go, last question, right? Um, general advice or well, is there a secret sauce that you'd like to impart to entrepreneurs and hustlers that are listening to this, or to this episode? You know, Ron, I think if there's a secret sauce, everyone would have eaten <laughs> it by, by now. Right. I, Especially, I, I don't think there is. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you follow your, your passion 
and you you put your head to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, you know, if you don't fail, you're not trying hard enough. Yep. Right. So don't don't be afraid to fail, mm-hmm. but be sure that you haven't gambled everything at one time. Now, if I look back in my career, I probably wasn't aggressive enough. I I was very conservative, mm-hmm. and I look at some of uh, my my peers and cohorts who have been more aggressive and have been very successful in, in a profound way. So, you know, in your continuum, what, how much are you prepared to, to invest and, and risk in going forward? And do you have a plan B if it doesn't work? And, and some people are saying, it blew up. I'm fine. Move on Do the next one. I, I didn't look at myself as doing a series of business, even though that did happen. Mm-hmm. Some bigger than others, obviously, but mm-hmm. some's just the challenge. I mean, being able to start something from scratch yeah. and see it work is mm-hmm. very rewarding, you know, and, and if you can do that time and time again, well and good. Some yeah. people do it because they really want to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. They want to, they want to provide a service that hasn't been offered to the community. And right. The world is filled with how we live better today because of those ideas. That is amazing again. Thank you very much, Fred, for such an amazing episode. I couldn't think of a better guest to guest in on our fifth ep- anniversary episode. Thank you so much. But before I let you go, is there, if people want to reach out or again, if they want to do a shout out or promote something, where where do they go and how do they do that? Um, you know, let's go through you. You're you're the repository. Okay. So <laughs> they have questions. Happy to you know send them across and uh, yeah, have me give my two cents worth. I will filter it and I'll ping him to Fred and I'll get his number if if he if it's even worth of doing that again. Thank you so much, Fred. But before I let you go, follow us on whatever podcast after listening to you, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We did say some jargon. It's going to be in the show notes on hustleshare.com. And lastly, if you want to be supportive of the Hustle Share podcast, again, we'd be happy to have you on board, just like Angelo Lee, Grab Abbott, and all the brands that sponsor Hustle Share. Thank you so much. You can also do that at premium.hustleshare.com. Again, Fred, thank you so much. Happy anniversary. Thank you so much. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.